You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning. This is Sister Lavina Francis Pamet. I'm the host for Dare to Love. Dare to Love is a program that cultivates vocation awareness in the Archdiocese of Chicago through our discussion of topics related to vocation discernment and promotion. And the through the Chicago Archdiocesan Vocation Association, otherwise known as CAVA, we have members of vocation ministers that help with vocation discernment for those who have uh, heard the call of God in their lives and are interested in finding out more about consecrated men and women's lives. And especially here in the local location in Chicago, in the Archdiocese of Chicago, um, Kava is available uh, for us to help you and be able to accompany you on your discernment. Today's guest is uh, Sister Debbie Borneman, who is a director of mission integration for the National Religious Vocation Conference, otherwise known as NRVC. And for our February show, we had her uh, to explain a little bit more and provide some examples and suggestions how to celebrate the World Day of Consecrated Life. And uh, for parishes, the celebration was the weekend of February 5 and 6. So this time, because Sister Debbie has a lot of uh some other things that um, we would like to talk about religious life. And also, um, this is a discussion, and our theme is really a conversation on who is entering um, right now for religious life, who's interested. Uh, those who are in initial formation, you know, NRVC pretty much um, has all this information uh, on the website, nrvc.net. But also, more importantly, what is this abundant hope that we seek for part one, uh, Sister Debbie had talked about uh, having, you know, listening to God's call that never ends. And so I'm excited to, um, to invite Sister Debbie once again and talk a little bit more about who is entering right now and what about accompaniment and uh, vocation discernment. So Sister Debbie, welcome once again. Thank you for being with us. And I can't wait for you to uh, educate us a little bit more about like who's who's um, coming in to the communities and uh, what what is that all about? I mean, I thought we had a crisis, but now it seems like there's 
a bit of uh, change in what's happening in the world today and who's discerning and all that. Thank you so much for this invitation to continue the conversation about religious life, um, because it does bring me great joy to talk about um, that people are entering religious life today. You know, sometimes people will say the question like, does anyone do that anymore? And I know when I entered, oh gosh, over 25 years ago, I even asked that question, like, because none of my friends were entering religious life. You know, even my parents said like, well, I don't even know, you know, like, where do you go to find, you know, sisters that you could even have that conversation with. So here over 25 years later, I'm here to say that, yes, women and men are entering religious life every year right. in the United States and throughout the world. And uh, at the NRVC, we, we dedicate much of our time to the research so that we're not just listening to the stories, but really finding out um, by interviewing women and men who have entered religious life in the past 15 years to kind of separate and help us understand a little bit about the characteristics of the women and men who enter religious life. So some of the things, Levine, I'd like to share right away is that over 300 women and men annually enter religious life each year and that they enter over 100 different religious institutes. And this is significant information because sometimes we can get into, um, I want to say the sense like, oh, they're only entering that community or those communities, however we want to define that or those communities, when the reality is, is that they're entering over 100 different religious institutes each year. So I think that's important. And then when we look at um, some of their characteristics, um, the average age of entrance is 28. Wow. So that was one of my misconceptions. I didn't start discerning religious life till I was about 25. Mm -hmm. And honestly, one of the first things I thought about is I think I'm too old, mm -hmm. you know, and like, would anyone like even have a conversation with me? And then to realize that the average age is 28 helps us to understand that, that of course, some enter right out of high school, but the majority of our people who enter religious life have completed a bachelor's degree or an undergraduate degree before they enter religious life and also have some life experience before they enter. However, we also know that the first time someone thinks about discerning a vocation to religious mm -hmm. life is around the age of 18 or 19 years of age. And so how do we then as vocation directors, how do we as parishioners, as friends and family members, when someone says, you know, I don't know, I just keep thinking about this, or I, you know, I was listening to some of the music in church and that song, you know, here I am, or whatever the song is, it just, I keep hearing that over and over again. I wonder, wonder what this means is that as friends and as family and as parishioners, we can say, you know what, why don't you seek out more information? Um, I think the other thing I want to share is that the majority of people who discern religious life spend at least a year or two in discernment. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about for you, Sister Lavina, but when I went to the very first discernment weekend, it was a bulletin announcement and I had my car packed in my suitcase and, <laughs> and um, I was in the car and I'm praying. I mean, every prayer I can think of and, and to say like, I'm not sure what's going to happen when I walk through those doors, but I hope they don't want me to enter today or tomorrow. You know, um, I didn't realize that it takes about a year or two on average for people to discern their vocation that we're not um, out there to, you know, to um, body snatch. If you want to say like, oh, if someone's interested, then they have to enter right away. But the whole process of discernment really is to listening to God's call and to learning more about the religious communities and by visiting those communities. I think there's a, just a couple other things I want to mention that 
the majority of people who enter religious life in the United States are from middle-class households. Mm -hmm. And also that um, the first language, we found this out on our study, that of the people who entered in the last 15 years, they named over 60 first languages. So our entrance classes are very culturally diverse and they embrace intercultural as well as intergenerational living. And last, I mean, I saw your expression, but isn't that something like when you're talking about what's your first language? Over 60 different languages, you know, to recognize that. And then the last piece about who are discerners today is that the majority of people who discerned religious life and entered religious life were invited by someone else to consider a vocation to religious life. That's very important. And so our listeners today is never underestimate the power of prayer for, for our discerners, but also the power behind invitation. It costs nothing to walk up to somebody who you've noticed, you know, is attentive in their faith, attentive to prayer, is a giving, loving, generous person to just say to them, have you considered a vocation to religious life? You know, so not to underestimate that power of invitation and that impact that it could have on someone's life. So, Yun, in in part one uh, last month, you talked about your own experience, 20 years of vocation ministry. So tell us about that. Some of your memorable moments, good moments, challenges. Can you tell us more, uh, I guess, to inspire uh, not just vocation ministers, but those who really uh, sincerely want to invite and encourage those who are discerning? Mm -hmm. So I don't think vocation ministers have a patron saint. I mean, I I don't know about that, but I always look to John the Baptist. And so, and what I mean by that is for like vocation ministers is that our role is to diminish our own light and to put the other person in the light, you know, to help another person through accompanying them. What are the God-given gifts and talents that they have so that they can make a response of how they want to spend the rest of their life? And so for me, like some of the most memorable moments in vocation ministry is when I think back and remember the times I invited other people to shine and to be able to rejoice with them to celebrate when it's something like an invitation to say, could you present? Or I have an idea and I think you'd be great at this. And so recognize it doesn't always have to be me in the center of attention, but how do I constantly look around me and encourage other people to use their God-given gifts and talents to be able to shine. I think the other thing that gives me, you know, I think about in vocation ministry over the past 20 years is that um, it really isn't about me. It's not at all. It's about God. And so when I look back at the aha moments, um, they're mostly moments when the spirit has led and it's just me running to catch up with the spirit. And so when you have a conversation with someone, and sometimes we don't even recognize those aha moments until way long after those aha moments happen. But in that time of reflection and looking back, you can see God's presence in your life and where God's spirit was. And so it's not me forcing somebody to enter religious life or even to stay in religious life, but really to say, I'm here for you. I'm here to listen. But really, it's between you and God. And that, for me, is what gives me incredible joy that it's those aha, unexpected moments that are most memorable. Um, 
Yeah. And it's pretty much uh, no strings attached with no hidden agendas. Definitely. It's really coming out of that general sense of call and responding to that call. And it's out of the, uh, that abundant love of God to share and be able to recognize somebody else's gifts so that, you know, what we receive, we share in abundance. And if we see that possibility in someone else, why not? Right? So, um, yeah, we have about a couple minutes before our next break. But um, do you think you could tell us a little bit of maybe in the same line in terms of discerning with others or recognizing their gifts? What about some of the challenges or maybe some um, catches in, in this type of ministry? I think what you said, it just kind of reminded me too, like when you're talking about the call is that the, the challenge is remembering there's a mystery in the call, you know, and that there's an unpredictability in the response. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, you could set up the perfect discernment retreat and yet no one comes, you know, you could have a, a, an event planned and you have a bunch of volunteers and people ready to be involved and then no one shows up for it or you could accompany somebody and really believe that they would be a good, like fit for your community, a good match for your community. And then they call and they say, oh, I'm discerning, you know, I discerned that I really want to look, I started dating, you know, and I really want to give this a chance and give this a try. So that's some of the challenges is that you can't, um, you can't manipulate, you know, a vocation, you can't manufacture a vocation, you can't buy a vocation, you know, it's that mystery of a call. And that's some of the challenges. And, and um, I think we'll talk a little bit about break, uh, one of the analogies I use with vocation ministry. But I'd also say before our break is that um, another one of the challenges is the weariness that this ministry can have upon vocation ministers uh, because of compassion fatigue and burnout as well, is how do we keep a balance in our lives that while we're ministering to others, and this is for anyone in ministry, that while we're ministering to others, that we're also making sure that we allow other people to minister with and to us as well so that we don't burn out and that we spend time in prayer, that we spend time in service and outreach others. And we, for those in religious life, we spend time with our community. That's right. And um, that support system is very important. So why don't we take a short break right now? And then on the, uh, the second uh, part of our show, we will talk more a little bit about that vocation ministry and perhaps the accompaniment part of this ministry. We'll be back. Don't go away. I am ready to begin. Here I am. I come to follow you. A stranger and a pilgrim in this world Sometimes I wonder what this journey will bring And you guide me faithfully At Catholic Charities, we fight hunger in Chicago throughout the year. Our six regional offices in Cook and Lake Counties work together to offer sit-down and to-go meals to anyone in need. We deliver meals to those who are homebound, and our eight food pantries offer three to four days of food supplies based on household size. 
Participants in these programs have the opportunity to learn about other Catholic charity services that strengthen individuals, families, and their communities. The challenges for those dealing with food insecurity are especially great during the winter months. To learn how you can help those who are hungry in your neighborhood, visit catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7525. That's 312-655-7525. Thank you for your generosity. I am a seminarian. The church needs compassionate and well-trained priests to help guide each of us through life. What inspires me, what draws me always to the priesthood is continue to see priests be a beacon of hope for other people. You can play a part in the education of these young men as they prepare for a life of service to others. I want to be that beacon of hope too, and it, it sets my heart on fire. To support our seminarians, make your gift at archchicago.org slash seminarianfund or call 312-534-7959. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, Catholic Charities has continued to respond to the needs of people who come to us for assistance. More than 850,000 meals and food parcels have been offered to those who are struggling with food insecurity. Over 108,000 homelessness prevention hotline calls have been answered. Over 22,000 people have received mental health services and $2 million in financial assistance has been provided to keep people housed. If you or someone you know needs assistance, email us at gethelp at catholiccharities.net. That's gethelp at catholiccharities.net. Or call 312-655-7700. That's 312-655-7700. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. I am as you will. I am ready to begin. Here I am, I come to follow you. And we are back to Dare to Love. This is Sister Lavina Pamet. I'm a Franciscan Sister of the Sacred Heart, your host. And Dare to Love is our vocation awareness ministry. And also for today, we have been talking to Sister Debbie Borneman, who is talking a little bit more about um, the essentials of vocation ministry in the sense that it's not a recruitment, uh, but rather an accompaniment and also really talking about that call, that abundant love of God who constantly calls us. And you said it before that that call is endless. It constantly calls us to respond because the love that is given to us in abundance, we cannot help but share with others. And recognizing those gifts and the love that God has for other people uh, also is part of that. Um, now, we were talking about some of the perks of vocation ministry, which is, you know, accompaniment in the sense that not recruitment or no strings attached, no hidden agendas, uh, which is a challenge, really, because for communities, um, especially tied into the American culture is the numbers 
and you got to back it up with numbers, right? Or, or results, right? Um, and so that's just part of that human kind of like productive mode. But the mystery that you mentioned, Sister Debbie, has something to do with really um, taking time to discern with someone because the main issue is that response that we want others to take up. And if the response seems to be, you know, just really wanting to find meaning in life, to be part of something bigger, it doesn't have to be consecrated life. It doesn't have to be to become a sister or a brother or a religious priest. Um, However, it is an option because if you are called to this life, then we do need people to accompany us. So if you could tell us a little bit more, perhaps in terms of vocation discernment as a ministry, just like, you know, social justice and the response to the needs um, of people, especially right now um, with COVID going on and so many crises going on internationally, globally, and right in our own backyard. Um, do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, vocation ministry or uh, discernment ministry in that way? Yeah, thank you so much for um, asking the difficult questions, you know, um, and really to be able to unpack a little bit behind vocation ministry and and really what's it all about. And, and I think you said it so well, Sister Lavina, when you were talking about, we have to remember that it is a ministry. That's why you say vocation ministry. We don't say vocation recruitment. And um, that ministry piece is always calling us to defy indifference in our life, you know, and to be able, as you talk about, to accompany people regardless of how they're going to respond to God's call, that that need is so great in our world. And vocation ministers seem to be the perfect people to look for to help our young people in particular to remember that God is calling and also how will they respond to God's call in their life. So I think accompaniment um, is just essential Um, to work with people, to walk with people right where they are, right where they are, and to be able to listen to them, to listen to their stories, and to help them in their discernment of their vocation. And um, sometimes people will say to me about, like, how do you keep doing this? Like, over 20 years, like, how do you stay in vocation ministry? And you also that whole piece about being their mystery of the call is, I like to compare it to what's happening today at the border. And what I mean about what's happening at our borders today is that there is a strong call and a strong response in particular amongst our sisters, our Catholic sisters, to go to the border and to be present to our sisters and brothers who are newcomers to our country, regardless of their documentation status. But the need is to be there and to be present among our sisters and brothers. Um, If not them, then who? You know, and I I think when I talk about the comparison is that I've yet to meet anybody who is planning to go to the border or who is at the border or has returned from the border experience saying, I only accompanied those who were guaranteed citizenship. (laughs) This never even enters their mind of why they're going. Why are they going? Because the need is urgent to be of assistance and to help and to advocate for people who are coming to our country, okay? That's the the response of doing it, but it's not, well, I'm only gonna go there if they're guaranteed that they'll have documentation. Because we know, truthfully, 
in God's kingdom, there we don't need documentation. That's a whole nother story. We're talking about vocation ministry here, but I think it's the same when you look through the same lens is that if we're only going to go out and speak to women and men who are saying, I definitively want to enter religious life. And so now I need your help. Well, that's a very narrow approach to vocation ministry. I like to take the wider approach to be able to say, can vocation ministers and can we be supported as vocation ministers in our parishes, in our diocese to accompany anyone who is searching out God's call? Anyone who's saying, regardless of if they're going to be a sister or brother or a priest, regardless of um, where they're at in that discernment process, that we accompany them and then we're there with them to be able to give them the resources, to point them to beautiful scripture readings, to use beautiful uh, songs that can move the spirit within them, to be able to point to all the different prayer practices that we have as religious, you know, to say, try this, this might work for you. Or to, have you considered journaling? Have you considered spending time with the, the community? But I, I look to say that, like, how are we measuring our results? How are we measuring success? And, and Sister Lavina, you said that in our North American culture, we tend to count that, you know, and to say, well, it, you know, we're looking at the total number of applications. It's just a total waste of time unless they become a member of the community. And I'm here to negate that, you know, way of thinking and really to help change mindsets to be able to say, no, vocation ministry, vocation discernment, take the wider view. And if you really want to count people and you say, how many people have I encountered in my life that are inquiring about where God is moving within my life? How is it that I can follow this Jesus, this risen Christ? How can I be closer you know, to my sisters and brothers, that for me is so pivotal in understanding vocation ministry today, that it's not just about the applications. It's really about accompanying our sisters and brothers. It's very gospel because it really reminds me of when Jesus wanted the uh, over 5,000 families, 5,000 men and families. So who knows, like, you know, 10,000 or so people, right? And um, the apostles were thinking scarcity. Well, we don't have enough money to feed these people, right? But Jesus was thinking abundance. What do we have? How can we share it? So if we looked at that abundant hope, we're really looking towards abundance, meaning abundant gifts that are available with our young people and not so young people. And how do we develop that? How do we encourage that? How do we help people discern? It is a need. It is a valid and, and valuable need for people to be listened to and to identify how they are being called in whatever way they are being called by God. That's the important thing. And measuring it seems to go back into that scarcity mode. How many you got? How many you got? How many you got? So I think if we really flip it and say, how can I serve you in whatever way that I can help you respond to God's call. That is vocation ministry, true vocation ministry. It's not about functionality. How can you replace me? How can you replace the roles that we have right now? But rather go back to what is the value that you have in your life? Sister Debbie, can you believe it? We're at the end of the show, you know, maybe a part three somewhere will be in the making, right? 
<laughs> and I know you're a very busy person. And so I really, really appreciate how you've shared your wisdom. We have a few seconds. If there's in a few seconds, put a message out there, what would it be? Yeah, I think the same lines of what you just were talking about and what I was talking about earlier, when we look through the lens of abundance is that my message to families is to like, when was the last time you visited a convent? When was the, you know, have you ever visited a convent as a community? It doesn't mean that you're giving your daughters or your sons over, you know, it's saying that we're Catholics and we're practicing our faith and we don't understand this, this vocation, help us to learn more about it. So like to tell families then not to be afraid to call up the vocation directors um, for the convents and to say like, could we come and pray with you? Could we come in and share a meal with you? Um, I think also for confirmation classes, uh, to be able to say, can you invite a vocation director in uh, during your confirmation retreat so that the students are able to meet a sister, to meet a brother, to meet a religious order priest, to explain to them a little bit about what does it mean to profess these vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and what does it mean to live simply and in solidarity with the poor. So I think that's a way to do it. And I think parishes as well, to be able to invite uh, sisters and brothers and priests to different events. Um, and even our CIA classes um, to explain who we are and our valid role that we have in our church today. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you, Sister Debbie, and your work. God bless everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. NRVC.net, you can find all the resources for a consecrated life. Thank you, everyone. I wonder what tomorrow brings